Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. This week, Jason Hall joins me to discuss recent earnings in the energy and industrial sector. Jason, thank you for joining me. Nick, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. It's it's we're deep in earnings season, and it's it's as expected. A lot of companies are doing quite well as we start to get into the re- recovery trade. Right? Isn't that the reopening trade? Absolutely. I pulled a stat this morning. Carl Quintanilla is a CNBC anchor, great follow on Twitter. He put this chart out this morning, and we're about halfway through earnings season. If you look at earnings for S&P 500 companies so far, we're on track for the strongest EPS growth since Q1 2010, up 45% year compared to the year ago quarter. This is across the S&P 500. <laughs> Obviously, it's a weird time when we're looking at earnings, the, the pandemic coming to an end. But what do you make of just how strong earnings have been across the board uh, this quarter? Yeah, it's interesting, right? So we have a couple of factors. Number one, we mentioned it's 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 kind of like what happened in 2010, right? It's it's the the world was starting to come out of of the lows of the economic impact back then of the global financial crisis, and of course now reopening is happening. Uh, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't nod to what's going on in India and, and uh, several other countries that are just being overwhelmed with coronavirus crisis. But at the same time here in the US, vaccinations are happening, people are going back to work, but also there's still that tailwind of federal stimulus, right? That's, 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 that's part of the story too. Absolutely. So yeah, recovery as well as, as, as stimulus and folks just feeling more comfortable uh, spending money. They maybe can see the light at the end of the tunnel, uh, that sort of thing. But you know, uh, let's get into some of the some of these earnings reports across the board. What we'll see is companies delivering record earnings. The response from the market as to uh, as to those reports has been varied. So for the first company we'll talk about here is Enphase Energy. They reported uh, record earnings earlier this week. The stock fell over ten percent on Wednesday, though. Jason, what's going on here? Well, it's a, it's a case of the market always looking ahead, right? And and if you if you dig a little past the record results and the record earnings, and when the company says, "Yeah, we might have a little trouble," our guidance is going to turns out it's a little bit less than what Wall Street's analysts are saying, and then they say something along the lines of, "We're going to have trouble getting this really important component, and we're not going to be able to make enough of our product." You you get this reaction right where the stock has fallen, and this is this is one of those cases. Where Enphase is kind of getting hit by the same thing that Ford and GM and you know Big Auto is, and that's the that's the semiconductor uh, crush, right? Absolutely. So yeah, you, you pull a quote from Enphase uh, president and CEO uh, said, "Looking to Q2, our shipment volumes will be constrained by semiconductor component availability. Although we are increase, increasing the capacity of solar microinverters every quarter, and the demand is increasing every quarter, the supply is unable to keep up with demand because of semiconductor constraints and component constraints in the market. And for that reason, they're expecting their growth to slow down. Uh, so, so the gro- revenue growth in the quarter 47% higher than the year ago period." Gross profit margin forty percent. Uh, so th- those are great numbers, but in the context of uh, forward growth, going to slow down a little bit because the, the business is doing so well. They're outstripping uh, what the supply can meet, as well as the stock has just had an incredible run the past year, Jason. Yeah, it, it has, and it's 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 a company that that I love. I think this. I'm not sure if it's recommended any of the Motley Fool services, but it certainly gets a lot of love from a lot of uh, folks like me because it's supplies a critical part. It makes the components 
that makes solar work. It's the thing that takes solar energy uh, from a solar panel and converts it into AC so that it can then work on the grid and power our homes and factories and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's a really interesting business. And, and as we've seen this year, just about anything tied to renewable energy has done incredibly well. It just so happens that this is this is a great business. It's an important business. They're in a duopoly in North America uh, with um, SolarEdge making these panel level electronics uh, for really for distributed solar. So you think about commercial rooftop solar on a Walmart or on your house or on a parking garage. So it's distributed. It's not the big utility scale uh, facilities. It's the distributed solar. Between Enphase and 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 um, SolarEdge, they have like ninety plus percent of that market, and it's a growing market, right? So so there's enormous. So the company's certainly been rewarded for its growth, but also, and again, ties back to that sell-off. There's a lot of 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 high hopes kind of priced into the stock right now. Yeah, Jason. So as someone, I believe you're an owner of this stock. Yep. How are you? How are you responding uh, to this earnings? Uh, you know, how do you think about the prospects of the company moving forward? in the aftermath of these earnings? So two things. First of all, if you think about the near term, uh, because this is a key supplier, uh, there's, I mean, there's going to be real pressure um, on its North American market because there is somebody else in the business too. Um, and, and But with that said, a lot of these companies, they, they get preferred contracts, exclusive contracts to provide manufacturers, or maybe they're, they're the main supplier to a large uh, solar installer. Um, so they get so those things kind of help, right? But the challenge I think is going to be internationally for Enphase. It's really focused on growing its international business um, and has has done pretty well there. So the the, the thing the, the thing is that a lot of other markets don't have the same regu- the requirements like the electrical code in the U.S. that requires the power management happen at each solar panel in distributed solar, and that means that internationally other providers may get in front of, of the company, it could affect its international growth story a little bit. So that's a concern that I have in the near term. Um, in the long term, I, I continue to, to have a lot of faith in the company. It has incredible management. They have great technology. Uh, they invest in making that technology better. They're looking at ways to diversify the business into other, into other areas that are besides just making those panels as a supplier, because let's be honest, Usually, if you're a supplier, you're in a middleman, and 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 you're not making the final product. Um, sometimes you you're the one that gets squeezed on margins. Uh, this company has proven that they can have really really good margins um, as a supplier. Um, so this this could affect their ability to do to do that. But they're again they're focusing on diversifying their business a little bit, getting more into energy storage, um, the, those sorts of things. And I think that's going to help the story play out over time. And the addressable market is just, it's so gigantic. I, I tend to think the tailwinds are going to be bigger than the pressures the company is going to have to deal with. Yeah. So something to continue to watch. Of course, if the company is able to continue executing and delivering the type of numbers they, they put up this this most recent quarter, and I think they'll, they'll probably catch up to, to any concerns that the market uh, has in place. So we mentioned Enphase's investment in, in uh, in solar energy, they also have some investments in, in in stationary storage. Transitioning to another company now that has some investments in that area as well. That's Tesla reported earnings this week, and like any Tesla earnings report, you know there's lots of stuff there uh, for folks who are bullish on the company. Lots of stuff there for folks who are bearish on the company. What did you make of the report? So, I think if you just take all the noise, take all the Bitcoin stuff, take all the 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 metrics about their selling the 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 energy credits 
the terms falling out of my head here exactly what they are. Regulatory credits. But if the regulatory credits, if you just if you just take all that stuff and separate it completely and focus on this one thing, it's really hard to argue against. Tesla sold 50% more cars than they did in the year ago quarter. 50% more cars. And they basically made zero of their Model S, Model X high-end car, right? So there's a little quibbling there about about the, that actual commercial production, but we know they did shut that down because they're they're releasing new models and they're retooling. But that's to me that is incredible. That is absolutely incredible, and that tells a really important story about how disruptive Tesla has been and how much they have hit on something that car buyers absolutely want. Right. So it's just maybe to put some numbers on there. So, so Tesla achieved record production deliveries and surpassed $1 billion in non-GAAP net income for the first time. That's a direct quote from Musk on the on the earnings conference call um, earlier this week. Um, so you see significant kind of delivery increases. They also reaffirmed guidance, uh, annual growth rate for deliveries as 50% uh, moving forward. And this, become, this is something to think about, right? Because how Tesla achieved this 50% growth here this year is they, roll, they rolled out a new factory in China. And so now the, the, the snowball is starting to roll downhill. They're, they've got plans in place for the new factory in Austin and the other, other factory in Germany. And things are really starting to, uh, to speed up to, to kind of maintain that growth rate and keep on delivering uh, more vehicles. So when you look at the, those headline numbers, really impressive. What, Bear, what Bear, Bear's folks might, might point out is just on the profitability side, you see incredible amounts of growth. If you want a waterfall, uh, you know, go from um, operating income and kind of back out regulatory credits and back out the Bitcoin trading profit. So $594 million in operating income in the quarter, up 110% year over year, sold $518 million in regulatory credits. So 100% margin sales, not from selling the cars specifically. And then, and then another $101 million in, in Bitcoin uh, trading profits. So that gets you up to $619 million in profit from regulatory credits and Bitcoin trading relative to $594 million in operating profits. So what, what that tells you, or folks who want to be uh, um, critical uh, of the report will say, is that if you back out some of these um, non-core parts of, of, of the business that are maybe less repeatable going forward, things like Bitcoin trading and regulatory sales, uh, that the core business is, is still not inflected uh, to profitability. That said, as, as scale increases and costs come down, perhaps we see that uh, we see that at some time in the future. So, um, as far as earnings in the core business, I think there's there's still some progress to be made. But when you look at the deliveries, if they keep this up um, going forward, that'll catch up sooner or later. You would think. Yeah, you'd think so. And again, I, I I don't I don't argue with with talking about those those things because it is really important. Uh, particularly, um, it, it does uh, you know. If you want to be a, be very cynical about it, you can say, "Well, this is just evidence that the, the companies can manipulate Gap to give you the result that they think that they need to deliver." Right? And maybe there's some truth to that, but I think you should also be really careful with the Bitcoin thing. Yeah, that you know, it is it is what it is. It certainly shouldn't be a core earnings part of any business that's really not in the business of investing and in, in dealing with with cryptocurrencies right so you think about like a coinbase this this is not their business right um it is it is a thing that they're now doing but i would say when it comes to the regulatory credits nick um i, I would challenge i would and i've thought a lot about this because i used to be one of those people that would be like oh you can't that's not a thing why are you Somebody paid $518 million for it. So you know what? I promise you that there are some people that it is worth more than $518 million to them to give that money to Tesla. So it, it yeah, maybe it's not a tangible thing. 
Sure, you can you can say it's the government's involved. It, however you want to spin it, there is an economic value there. And Tesla has been smart enough and savvy enough to use it as part of the economics of how they are building scale. They're taking advantage of that. And you know what? I I think that that's a, that's a smart approach because to ignore it, would be is ridiculous. It's there. You know, you know who hasn't done a good job of taking advantage of it? Big auto, right? So and it's been there. Nick Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I think that that's a, that's a fair point. So when you think about who are the people paying Tesla the, this $518 million, they tend to be auto manufacturers that, that need to meet uh, whatever requirements they need to meet regulatorily when it comes to emissions, buy credits in order to, uh, into, in order to, to meet those requirements. In particular, in 2020, European uh, uh, regulations went into place that, that made the penalties go up significantly. So uh, it, do, it does make sense for, for automakers to, to purchase these regulatory credits from Tesla rather than pay the penalties to the government. I think I think what, what what folks would push back and say is that um, certainly this is an opportunity available to Tesla, but as other automakers um, move more and more into electric vehicles, if they can, uh, if say they they have to spend X to to buy a regulatory credit from Tesla in order to meet um, to meet the government requirements when it comes to emissions, if they can sell an electric vehicle for X minus one dollar, even if they lose X minus one dollar, it makes economic sense for them to introduce that vehicle um, into the market. And so the incentives in place for the folks buying the credits are that to the extent they can avoid credits and lose less money by selling a vehicle even right. at a loss, um, it draws right. those folks into the market. And so as long as Tesla can sell these, obviously this is incredibly high margin, stuff they can use to maintain their advantage in electric vehicles while these other folks plan to catch up. But it is one of those things that the tailwind of regulatory credits will uh, will drop away at the same time as as the kind of headwind of competition comes up into the market. So so Tesla, you know, it, competition will just intensify, and that's part of it. Um, when we look forward, kind of for the company, uh, what are your kind of biggest things you'll be watching for Tesla moving forward? What are the things folks should be paying attention to? So I've I've said this a couple times on on air lately, and and I really think it it this is where the focus needs to be. If you think about China as such an important market for for Tesla. And at the same time, there's some real questions about whether where Chinese the Chinese government is, is going to stand and allowing Tesla to to grow at the same rates because there are a lot of uh, I did a show with Anand uh, Chakravalu and um, Matt Frankel um, on Full Live yesterday, and we looked at like a dozen companies, and of that dozen, we found like four that were the next Tesla of China. I mean, there there is so much focus domestically there, um, and let's be honest, China has a history of putting the thumb on the scales, and 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 I I just wonder and. You think about the GMs and the Fords that at times have had successes and then the success the business has dried up in China. And and I'm just, I think it's going to be a really challenging market. Um, and, and I think investors should really moderate their expectations for the company's ability to succeed in a market where it's, it's, it's destiny is maybe predetermined. Um, maybe that's, I'm saying that pretty heavy handed, but I, I kind of feel that might be the case. It really needs to, the US, North America, uh, Europe, I, I think those are the markets that that are going to become increasingly important uh, because China may not, the company might not be allowed to be as important in China as it wants to be. Yeah, certainly I, has I been a little heavy handed there. Well, you know, if you pay attention, you know, look at outlets like like the Global Times and, and a few others in, in China. Uh, there, there has certainly been an acceleration of uh, 
inflammatory headlines that aren't, aren't necessarily the most charitable to Tesla. And you can interpret that. Coming from state from state media, basically. Correct. Which so, is all their media. So, yeah, yeah that, that's certainly something to, to pay attention to. And I, that's something something I'd pay attention to as well. The other thing I would say is, is just autonomy, um, just because I think that's a key differentiator for Tesla, a key key aspect of the business when it comes to uh, super normal margins, the auto auto industry moving forward. And just over the past you know few weeks and months, we, we've seen a number of automakers talk about uh, introducing similar products onto the market. And, and Tesla needs to be able to continue pushing that functionality forward in order to maintain a lead and in order to maintain kind of an image in the minds of consumers that they have the the best uh, uh, autonomous technology available on, on the market today. So that, that's something to watch. There, there's, there's been some regulatory activity there there as well. So I, I think the China story and then, and then just the extent to which the autonomy technology is pushed forward, I think are two very important things to pay attention to with Tesla moving forward. Any last thoughts on Tesla, Jason? Yeah, I agree on the autonomy and to a certain extent. So the company has a huge, I think they really do have a huge data lead. Um, there in terms of the information they've collected. Uh, but again, a little bit too, I think it's kind of that story. They don't necessarily have complete control of their destiny. I mean, they can say all the, all they want about their technology, but at the end of the day, regulators are going to be making the call about when this is truly road ready. Um, and I'm one of those people that think it's going to take longer than most, most of us expect. And there's a lot of valuation that's based on Tesla being able to have, like you said, those super normal margins in the automaking business because of transportation as a service. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, something to watch. So moving on uh, from from Tesla and Enphase, these are companies that, that really were right in the maybe the, the bullseye of the hot sectors in 2020. Uh, let, let's move on to, to some companies maybe less outside of those sectors. One of those is, is Nucor Steel, uh, the largest steelmaker uh, in North America. He can't make a Tesla uh, without steel. This is another company that is reporting uh, a record quarterly earnings. Yeah, and just just across the you you look at the you look at the metrics and and still that or excuse me, uh, Nucor reported uh, double digit growth in volumes. Uh, steel prices were up more than twenty percent. So when you're a, a steelmaker, particularly any of these kind of heavy industries, and you can charge double digit prices and you also get double digit volumes, the operating leverage that you get. And the incremental margins that you get on the bottom line are enormous. And we saw that, right? Tesla's revenues were up, or excuse me, there I go again. Nucor's revenues were up, what, 30, 30% in the quarter, 33%? Um, 33% sequentially, 25% sequentially. year over year. And that's, it, that's, it's enormous. And if you look on the bottom line, that's, that's how you get to, to record earnings, you know? Absolutely, and when you look at these these kind of these steel companies, uh, the volume put you're pushing through the system. There is some operating leverage that you just realize as demand hypes up. Yeah, it's it's enormous. I think the shipments to shipments to outside customers. So this is actual steel shipments that they sold to somebody that wasn't from one division to another division. Were up uh, ten or eleven percent. Total shipments were up thirteen percent uh, sequentially. Um, so the sequential number, I think, are, are, are really important because you see where demand is ramping up, right? Industrial demand for steel is starting is starting to ramp up. But there's another part of it, too, that's important for Nucor. Uh, we, this is a company that they're, they're, their track record of, of capital allocation is so, so good because the company has a rock-solid balance sheet. It's investment grade uh, rated. And one of the things that they've done really, really well Part of it's with their model, right? With their with their um, electric arc furnaces, their mini mills gives them scalability in their cost structure. But also, just having a rock solid balance sheet means that when this steel cycle turns negative and we're in a downturn, and all of these assets are on sale, you know, you can you can buy somebody that's struggling. They have something they need to sell to raise capital. You can buy at attractive prices. What we've seen over the past two or three years 
is those things have been selling for premium. So the company is really focused on internal projects and greenfield and, and developing and building instead of buying. And it's really, really paid off because the company has moved more into like higher end steel, steel that it can get higher margins on, steel that it doesn't have to fight against commodity importers as much on, steel where there's growing demand, like the auto industry having higher quality, lighter, stronger steels, domestic energy, places where where there's better margins, there's better demand, and there are better tailwinds. And it's really, really, really paying off. When you talk about tailwinds, so, so I, one of the quotes uh, from the, the conference call, Nucor President CEO Leon Topalian says, when you're looking at guidance moving forward, we expect earnings for the second quarter of 2021 to exceed our first quarter results, setting a new record for quarterly earnings. We believe the current favorable demand environment will continue through the rest of 2021. So Jason, you mentioned how steel is a cyclical industry. Is it safe to say that the cycle is turning up right now? Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, so again, we the steel industry was actually relatively strong before the coronavirus pandemic just kind of nailed everything. Again, you think about the U.S. domestic steel uh, for, for energy was, was on, on the rise. The problem has been imported steel has soaked away so much of the demand and it's made it harder for a lot of the domestic steel makers over the past five or six years but now the big thing, again, we're talking about it again, is infrastructure, right? It's it's clear that infrastructure investment has to be made. But we also think about uh, a recovery in the in the domestic um, energy industry is going to drive demand for steel. Um, so the, the the metrics are good, and you move beyond Nucor just to briefly touch on, um, of, excuse me, Steel Dynamics ticker STLD is. A really similar, smaller, newer company that uses that same mini mill business. You look at their metrics and you see a lot of the exact same things. Volumes are way up, operating incomes up, pricing is up, and it's trailing. You know, pushing along to their bottom line as well. So, just dude, <laughs> it's 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 tough. I'm challenged right now because these stocks are trading at all time highs, but then you look at like their forward earnings multiples. And they're in high single digits, like seven and eight times forward earnings multiples. Uh, so the the steel cycle, I think, is in a really, really strong, really strong place right now. Yeah. So so when it comes to investing through cycle, I think we've talked about this on on the podcast before for for these these cyclical businesses. Um, how do you think about the right time to buy them? Is now a time that that is a good time to buy them, or, or was that you know prior to the cycle really turning up? So it's it's a challenge, right? If you th- I mean, just from the beginning of the year, Nucor and Steel Dynamic stocks have, have increased 50%, right? So obviously a lot of people have, are, are, are thinking infrastructure bill is going to happen and there's going to be big stint, spins here. Uh, people are going to go back to buying cars, you know, all of, all of those things. To a certain extent, I think it is quote unquote priced in. Um, but the way I think about these businesses is, these aren't one that you, unless you have an opportunity, like we saw back in last March and April, you know, both stocks have doubled since then. Those are opportunities that you, if you get it once a decade, you go in and you load up and you buy a lot because they're high quality companies and you know, eventually they're going to recover. Um, the, the way I think about them right now is, is I think it's a very reasonable thing for investors maybe to start a very small position or maybe think about even adding a little bit right now and then continue to understand and monitor the steel industry, the economic um, aspects of, of demand that are playing out, um, and then look for opportunities to add and build out a position 
over time. Uh, another thing is they both pay dividends yielding close to 2%. So if you're looking for a steady, reliable source of income that can grow over time, because they also have really good track records of increasing their quarterly payouts just about every year, um, I, I think they're good to own for that dividend growth as well. But these are, I, I definitely think now would be a probably not ideal time to go open a full large position in them. Um, just again, 50% increase in, in four months. So I think that's <laughs> that says a lot about the, the potential risk of volatility in the near term and over the next three to five years, a risk of underperformance if your goal is to outperform the S&P 500. Certainly. Yeah. So so it's going to be a cyclical business. Keep, keep that in mind. But I think we both agree that, that the long-term trajectory for Nucor, its role in the U.S. economy and you know the North American economy is, isn't going to decrease in a meaningful way uh, going forward. So to the extent they can keep making you know compelling capital allocation decisions, and we don't find something that can replace steel, I, I think the company is going to have a have a role in the future and, and can be you know a uh, a part of a well balanced portfolio. Uh, let's move on to the last company we want to discuss today, Jason, which is UPS, another company reporting record earnings, another company blowing out analyst estimates. What do you make of the of the UPS report? You know, it's just I think it's again if you think about what's happened over the past year, you've got hundreds and hundreds of millions of people in the United States and billions of people around the world that have learned that you can get anything shipped <laughs> right on the internet. You know, it's right there. You can buy stuff and it'll show up at your house. It could be a couch. It could be you know anything, right? So so that trend is absolutely paying off. Uh, vaccine distribution, right? I mean, there's so so many so many interesting things that are that are driving companies like UPS. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what are their, their volumes increased? What, fourteen percent? Um, incredible, incredible. Fourteen percent increase in average daily average daily volume. Uh, adjusted earnings reached two seventy seven a share. That's against analyst estimates for a dollar seventy three. So when you're off by a that's dollar, better I mean, last I heard. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Um, <laughs> revenue up twenty seven percent from a year earlier. Uh, profits, uh, you know, in their um, the domestic and international segments, both have reached a record. Significant increase from small and me- medium sized businesses. Uh, growth reached a record high of of thirty six percent. So the company really uh, across the board, people are shipping a lot of stuff. There's been this inflection uh, to online commerce that isn't going to reverse. So companies that that for a long time had maybe been hesitant to move uh, to selling selling product online have had to embrace that in a significant way, and that's been to the benefit of UPS. I think there's been a lot of conversation in the market about what's going to happen with Amazon getting into logistics, and they're going to squeeze out UPS and FedEx. I think what we're learning is there's a heck of a lot of demand and there's room for all these folks to, to make plenty of money. Well, you, you talk, we talk about Amazon and then you think about a company like Shopify, right? That's established itself as a, a way for people to sell their products online and to have an e-commerce strategy that's part of their commerce strategy. And they're not married to who could likely be their biggest competition, right? And then you think about companies like Wix, right? So all of the companies that are doing all of the other side of of how online experience is happening and then that tying into e-commerce. And you have to, re- I mean, if you're long a company like Shopify, if you believe in their future, then you can't, you can't truly believe that Amazon's gonna put UPS out of business, right? Um, it's a great big world and there are going to be hundreds of millions of, of, of businesses around the world that need to, to ship goods around. And I mean, this is like the golden age to be a UPS or a FedEx right now. Absolutely. But last thing that I think popped out from their earnings report for me is, so here's a quote, quote from the uh, from their 
uh, earnings report said, given continued economic uncertainty, the company is not providing 2021 revenue or diluted earnings per share guidance. Why did this pop out to me? Because we saw this in a lot of earnings reports a year ago. And the idea was, the economic uncertainty was, we don't know how bad the economy is going to get. Therefore, we're not giving you guidance. My interpretation of this phrase from UPS is we don't know how good the economy how is about to get. The so we're not going to give you guidance. <laughs> that tells you something. Yeah. I- it does. It absolutely does. And I think it's a reminder too that you know UPS is big domestically, but it's also a big international business too. And I mean, there is some uncertainty to the downside. There, there is. But I think this is a, a clear case of look what we just reported. Look what we just reported. We just blew away analyst estimates by seventy percent. So that's 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 where we are. It's. You know, again, I think it gets back to all the economic trends. You have economic recovery that's happening um, around the world. You have a return to normal, right? So I don't think we can discount that. As much as we talk about e-commerce and we talk about those things that are going to play a big role in the future, we talk about just its normal business that was disrupted and that kind of normalizing um, as we get into the second and third quarters of the year. Right, Nick? Yeah, I I would say just this, this report from UPS what it, what it tells to me is just the economy is is growing at an incredible rate and the, the folks that are that are facilitating that uh, are, are benefiting uh, in an outsized way so I saw a, a headline this morning they're expecting GDP to grow six percent uh, year over year in this quarter mm-hmm. um, I don't know how that can't be a huge win uh, for the folks that facilitate that trade whether it's a UPS or a FedEx or railroads or we mentioned new core steel earlier this demand for, for more and more construction. I think all these folks that, that play into kind of growth in the real economy have a huge, huge yeah. tailwind behind them, and they're going right. to have a really strong year. I thought coming into this year that, that value stocks would outperform growth stocks. Part of that is a lot of them are, are the companies like UPS and Nucor that, that play into this this economic recovery in the real world. Last year, we right. saw the folks that, that facilitate business in the virtual world really benefit and have a lot of wind at their back. And I think this year, there's a lot of wind at their back of that other group. The probably the biggest stat that jumped out of me from the from the UPS report. I don't know if we want to end it in, end it here. Is the their small and small and mid sized business volume uh, is growing faster than their their large customer volume. That's three quarters in a row, and it's the largest portion of their volume it's ever been. That says a lot about where the economy is growing in the U.S. You think about because small and mid-sized businesses, that's the employment, that's the employment engine, that's the economic engine uh, that's so important. So that's a really, really positive metric. Yep. All right. So to bring it home, Jason, I'm going to I'm going to hit you with the Matt Greer Desert Island question. We discovered we discussed four different companies today: Enphase Energy ticker ENPH, Tesla ticker TSLA, Nucor Steel, which is NUE, and UPS, which is UPS. If you could only own one for the next five years, buying it today, which would you choose and why? Probably UPS. Probably UPS. And the reason, so Tesla, I'd be terrified to own for that long and not know what's going on. Uh, there's just so much expectation baked into its price. In uh, phase, maybe for some similar reasons and thinking about valuation and the potential for disruption, um, I, I think is still very real. Um, Nucor, because as we as we saw over the the prior five years, as much as there are tailwinds, big big tailwinds, um, the the impact of of overseas competition, even as the government continually tried to fight against anti competitive. Um, uh, trade moves uh, from imported steel was a real was a real 
drag on its business. I think UPS has so many competitive advantages that are durable um, and it's expensive, but I still think it's a reasonable price and the tail the tailwinds are, are just fantastic. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you, uh, Jason, just, just because of a little bit of uncertainties on valuation uh, with the two growthier, growthier companies there, it kind of kicks them out for me. And then, you know, as, as between Nucor and UPS, I mean, there's DHL and, and foreign competitors, but it's hard to replicate what UPS offers in the same way that, that you can replicate, you know, steel products. So for that reason, right. I just think UPS, you know, stronger competitive advantage and, and has some really strong tailwinds at its back with this continued shift to e-commerce. Even after this past year, e-commerce is not the majority of commerce that's done in the world. And eventually, I believe it will be. And in that universe, the folks who are delivering those packages stand to, stand to gain a significant amount. Agreed. Jason, thanks for hopping on the show with me. This was fun. It's always fun. Let's do it again uh, sometime. Until then, as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.